Hello and welcome back to episode three of Student Power Radio. My name is Mikey and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Star and Steven. And today we are joined by Angelica Creedle, president of the VCU Student Arts Coalition, as well as Taylor Maloney, president-elect of SGA. And I think we just want to get started today and do a, just a general check-in, see how everybody's feeling, um, see how everybody's doing. Hey y'all, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm feeling pretty good. There's been a lot of new updates with VCU, so just trying to keep everything balanced and keep the student body like kind of updated with us. Yeah, um, I also appreciate being invited to come up here. I'm really excited like for what this new year is gonna bring in terms of like um, student activism on campus, organizing and just general ways to like fight for students on and um, our community off campus too. Yeah, I'm doing great as well. Um, like Ange was saying, making sure that the student body is informed of everything going on is really important to me right now. Um, and then also just keeping up with the community, making sure that community demands are being heard by students and that students understand the importance of that. And uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I think right now I'm taking a lot of time doing uh, a lot of reflection work and kind of just working through uh, some stuff, making sure that um, keeping myself you know, mentally happy as well, making sure that keeping focused during all this time. So I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I guess I'd say the same. I'm doing well. Super excited to have this conversation and be able to be in this space. Um, same thing. I'm, I've been focused more on resting and, and recentering myself. So yeah, I'm super excited to be here. And uh, if you guys could just give us a little bit of maybe a background of what your organization does or um, some of the things other people might want to know about your organizations in general. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I'll start with kind of our origin story and how we came together in the first place. Um, there was an issue with a racist professor calling the police on one of our Black faculty who was not full-time at the time. And that's how we banded together and came together. Um, yeah, that's kind of how we originally came together. And now we do a lot of work with working directly with our faculty, doing work with keeping our art classes safe and our curriculum, making sure it's inclusive. We do a lot of logistic work and political work within the department um, and try and work with faculty as much as possible. So. And for SGA? Yeah, so SGA is um, the closest thing we have to an autonomous student um, organization on campus. So we're pretty much almost completely self-governing. Um, and so with that, we allocate funds given to us by the student activity fee to our over 500 now student organizations. Um, we oversee, we have a judicial branch as well to like, just both for like internal affairs with SGA and external affairs between student organizations or within organizations oversee all of that money that's allocated. We also like pass resolutions, some of them in the form of suggestions to administration or things that we are doing to internally um, change our organization or put stances and policies in our, uh, within our government. But generally, the student body president kind of just serves as like the figurehead of the organization because I'm not part of the legislative branch nor the judicial branch. So I just oversee the direction that the organization is 
heading towards and how we overall represent ourselves on campus. Awesome. Um, and I think one of, one thing we wanted to kind of talk about is just for especially listeners that maybe our students um, coming back to campus or just community members wanting to get more information on uh, issues of transparency and accountability at VCU. Uh, so we know obviously COVID-19 was something that occurred earlier this year and it was something that largely affected um, the response we had from administration. And so I think we just wanted to talk a little bit about VCU's COVID-19 response uh, and also their new public safety model that they proposed and kind of really just dissect the nature in which uh, VCU is making these decisions for students. Yeah, I think I can start in terms of the response that we had from our university, and then I'll let you guys kind of talk about the public safety model. I think uh, initially it was very, it was lackluster because it seemed that the responses were slow, um, and obviously the situation at the very beginning was like ever-changing. We didn't really know how it was going to go, but I think there was a clear lack of communication from our university, which prompted a lot of like student involvement and engagement trying to get that, and then when the demands were there, there was still a lack of response, I guess, from the administration. So in terms of like student activism and organizing, it was really powerful to see that students really were coming together, but it also seemed that the VCU response was more reactionary than proactive. And I think that was kind of highlighted going forward with the public safety model. And um, also like how VCU has really responded to the situation in general as a whole. And what did you guys think about like uh, VCU's response in terms of things, but like a situation like the Honors College situation, um, that one, that that was crazy, right? Like That was completely insane. It it really just made it clear the complete disregard VCU has for its students, especially its black and brown queer, just you you don't know who's, who's taking up space, like who relies on VCU's housing. You brought up a good point with the housing specifically and the new rules they've implemented with housing. And I I don't live on BC's campus. I don't know too much about the rules specifically, but I know they um I don't know they they've restricted our students even more without student input. We don't know where these conversations are happening, um, and that's just very concerning for me. Yeah, I agree. I just think that like. It's always a factor of wait, my to coast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, I was like, like, do some shit and then, like, like run and go hide when, like, they get caught. And it's just like, had you just told us, like, beforehand, I wouldn't be as mad. Like, I would feel a way about, like, my lack of um, say in the matter. But the simple fact that I'm respected enough to, like, be told what's happening. Had it been a simple email, simple like thing before they started, and been like, "Sorry guys, but we're gonna like for the betterment of public health, we're gonna have to do this. Here's what you can do." But it came out in a video, so people wouldn't even know that they're like they would have just come back and their stuff would have just been gone, and they would have had to find out last minute and after the fact that their stuff was being moved out of jail or um, the honors hall. And I just think that like really speaks to like their history of just doing things and then they have to get called out on their like bullshit before anything actually happens because they're saying how much they can get away with under our noses. Like when we get those emails, like the reactionary emails, it'll say a lot of times after consulting with students or student groups, do you guys have any insight on like who they're consulting? Like how involved is SGA in that? Like where do students come in? 
Okay, so mine, uh, the least, I, the most I can say is that um, they're either only talking to their board of visitor rep, like student representatives, or I guess the student body president, because like we don't really know how much communications are like past administration or like student body president had with administration, but there was a good amount that was being like gate kept from student the student body. There was a good amount that that in order to re- remain in like admin's good favor, you know, they were not really telling us what was happening behind closed doors and just telling us, oh, we'll just trust admin. They know what they're doing. Just listen to them. It's like they're going to keep that information within them and the students that they know are not going to question what they're doing or tell the student body. Right. Or I feel like they're asking like, <laughs> like white students or just like super representative of everybody because, right. you know, they have that thing. What was it? The news article that they talked about? Oh yeah. Yeah. The public safety model. Safety yeah. model came out, which public safety model is just like a rehashing of the list of demands we gave them with some like added VCU opt exists, <laughs> like some like, nice <laughs> VCU citrus on top. Like that's basically what it is. Some VCU parsley. Yes, yeah, yes. some VCU parsley, but um, the old razzle dazzle. <laughs> but it's basically when they when they released the public safety model, it was you know they had saying white students are the ones that are like uh, talking about um, VCPD, how they, you know, feel safe. Like these people like help them get home and stuff like that. I was like, you know, we've had people that comment on our stuff that say, you know, VCPD is like helping us like get home. Like when we're drunk, I'm like, yeah. Like, (laughs) and I think that's, like I said on the last podcast, it's kind of like the highlighting of the differences between students of color and then also white students. And I think for VC not to acknowledge that is it's the same exact mechanism that happened with the Honors College because uh, in the Honors College, they were putting that onus back on the students. They weren't saying, they were taking the students' items without like letting them know, but also they were saying, if you don't pick this up by, I believe the date was August 11th, we don't know what's gonna happen to your stuff. And that, that's putting the agency back onto the students for a decision that they made without consulting the students. And that's kind of where I'm at with the public safety model, especially with VCUPD. It's like you're putting that onus back onto students who aren't comfortable with the systems that you're putting into place. Right. I think for VCU, it's like definitely about like peeling back those layers, I guess. Like, cause you have this, Taylor was saying this ring of like students that they like trust that they know will not question what they're doing. And then you have like that hour layer of students who don't know who are going, like what's going on. And then like another layer of students who are, clued into what's going on there and trying to like kind of wake everyone up to see that like these actions are intentional but they're explicitly harmful harmful and like that's why it's so frustrating to see students that are like well I've always had a great experience okay well look outside of yourself you know like just because you have had a great experience which most of the time if you're white I'm sure you did have a great experience but like you have to to include other narratives other people and look outside of your group or yourself to really like understand like the true things that are going on on campus which I think it's been frustrating for us yeah I know I feel that and then to add to that like within my perspective my scope like a lot of things I would be told like had I gotten student body president like this is before the election that I wouldn't be a good leader or good this uh, or a good um, org head because I'm not representing all 30,000 students because I I have a very like obvious and like let's just say like pragmatic like politic that comes with um my style leadership my style of doing things and like to me it's not about 
me making sure all those who feel comfortable with PD are valid and like feeling comfortable with them. It's about me standing up for the most marginalized students on campus who get no space on campus, who don't get to sit in these like BOV rep rooms, who don't get asked by their professors how they're doing, who don't get. And so like, it's really hard to like talk to administration sometimes with when, when you're very adamant about something because it's been quote unquote like politicized issue. And like, I don't mind having a politic with that stuff because you do have to have one because internal university affairs are not like, some bubble outside of the realm of like capitalism, patriarchy, all that. So like, yeah, our campus does need to be pro sex worker because that's the first arrestable offense that BCUPD was given. If you look down the thing, like the list of um, the city's like agreements on what they can arrest students for, prostitution is the number one, like the first thing that pops up. So this campus does need to be pro-sex work. It needs to be an ice-free zone. It needs to be um, a safe zone for those with different political affiliations, uh, like further left. Um, It needs to be pro-black. It needs to be pro-immigrant, like undocumented, documented, all that. So like they, them trying to tiptoe around a certain unapologetic stand in their politics, like because they're trying not to get their, like themselves and, um, in trouble with whatever investors are coming in and helping and contracting with them. It's showing like BCU doesn't want to piss off Raytheon or Dominion or like um, any of these other forces that one probably supply police forces and fund the police forces either overtly or covertly. So that's going to be a big barrier for us is like um, if we do manage to defund mm-hmm. or get rid of uh, BCU PD. Right that's going to send waves because then that's a model for abolition everywhere. And Star, do you have the, uh, for just uh, folks that maybe haven't or aren't as aware of what the new public safety model is, would you want to maybe read it or just uh, point out some points from it? Yeah, so I can point out, um, they have like what is what they call a series of targeted reforms and community involvement. So these are like the main points that, that they sent out in the email. So the first one is civilian oversight and advisory function. This means that VCU will implement a new civilian advisory committee, and this committee will re- meet regular, regularly to assist in the development of our new safety model, review VCU's wellness and safety activities, inform operational and inform operational strategic decisions. Um, and the second one is workforce realignment, which is focused on increasing safety, mental health, outreach, and wellness staff while realigning our police workforce to place unsworn, unarmed safety or mental health professionals. And then fair and impartial policing. So they are saying they're going to continue to implement policies, conduct training, and solicit feedback and develop initiatives that promote fair and equitable treatment of all community members. And then uh, transparent metrics, which is um, they're going to track important key performance indicators and currently make this data available to the community through safety reports and crime logs. And in the email, they've actually linked that if anyone wants to check that out. And then the last one is community feedback. So they want to hear thoughts as they build this new public safety model. And that's where that form um, that we posted about on social media is present there as well. They're trying to make issues family friendly that aren't family friendly. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like the different modes of safety that they put in place are, they're not recognizing the biases that 
They're not doing the, anything for black and brown students. Exactly. Really, that's what it really is. And they have a history of that, and that is so clear. And what VCU also does is they'll bring in black and brown students and Brown Mountain faculty <coughs> under the guise of diversity and inclusion. Yep. And and in scholarships, and we'll bring them in on scholarships. And then once once they're here or not, keeping them safe and aren't giving them the resources necessary to survive in this white supremacist institution that they're upholding. So I think the point's on the public safety model, we can't even, I, I don't expect them to be able to even do those right. Like the civilian, the civilian review board sort of thing, like who, what, what, who are the civilians? Who is going to choose? Who's going to be on this board? When do the students actually come in? I because yeah. I, I still don't. When we still don't know who proposed the public safety yeah. model, who was there to like. We still don't know who's at the table making all these decisions. Right. And it's clear again because it is a pitiful regurgitation of some of the student power demands. And so it's insane. Mm-hmm. And and I know y'all have talked to admin a lot, but it's still crazy. I feel like we're not at the table right. in the ways that we need to be yet. They still find ways to capitalize off of our work and take credit for our work and, and co-opt it and still, and, and not follow through fully on the demands right. because there's still too much police presence. That's my thing. I, I just don't understand. It's like, we've given you demands like this is obviously from a large amount of like community members like students like we we try to incorporate like like as many student orgs as possible into this process of like establishing this list of demands and we really you know did the outreach um and so it's just kind of like doesn't make sense to me that they kind of created their own and then we're like well this is this is what we think would be the best idea for you it's like no well the community and like students are giving you demands all you have to do is simply adhere to these demands and then we can keep it moving you know but yeah. it's not like that it's like they want to offer solutions that are half filled that are performative that seem like they're not going to agitate or upset too many parties you know there is it's a lot of damage control tactics that yeah. I feel like that's why all the emails we get are vague it's because they want to exactly. tell us that they're doing something but don't want to tell us too much so that we can say that we don't agree with specific things you know we're having a uh, like civilian review board cool but like if we don't know who's on it then how are we going to to be handpicked by Adam? Exactly. I also think that the the lack of brevity, it brings up two questions for me. It brings up number one, if you're gonna regurgitate like pitifully like what you said, Anne, about our work and like just completely co-opt those narratives, what is your job? Like what are you doing to, to, to ensure safety for black and brown students? But I also think too, it's like super frustrating because and and, and this is something that was really pivotal for me. Like working with you all, and I, and I know that you guys can kind of um, attest to the same thing. But realizing that these like actions are super intentional, like these are the things that they're doing on purpose. Like the vagueness of the email is purposeful, and and they keep using that buzzword continue. We're going to continue to do this. We're going to continue to do that. But we know just from the information that we've gathered that like these things that they're going to continue to do aren't being done successfully in the first place. And aren't being done in regards to protecting black and brown students, faculty, and, and campus employees. So that's like especially frustrating because the vagueness and then the buzzwords, it's like really just to put cracks in like what we're trying to do as far as like activism and in other students and community members and faculty and whatnot. Because it's harder to get to the source of what they're talking about. Like thinking about the meetings that we had last semester and how difficult it was to get to the the center of 
of really like what we were trying to target because they made it so hard and it was so vague. Yeah. And I think too, when we're talking about uh, like making it uh, so that we have these on space, you know, BC in general, I would argue is a pretty unsafe space for marginalized communities. You know, I, I think, I think under the guise of diversity and inclusion, it's allowed like the public perception to be that BC is like this kind of like expansionist, like pro social justice issue, like space and when it's like really not, you know, yeah, yeah. externally, I think it is to like how they try and present or market themselves. But yeah. it's like, I think that's just an indicative of the fact that we have such like a diverse student population. So by us, have, by virtue of us having like black, brown, Hispanic, undocumented, all these like different represent representative groups in our, like, our student population, I think instead of them thinking they have to do the work to help support those individuals, their own constituency, that they think that is representative of the fact that they're doing something like positive for these communities. And I think that's like where the disconnect lies. It's like virtue signaling. Like an example in, even in BC, you kind of like welcome our information and pamphlets and even in some of the BC arts um, informational books, they have obviously diversity and inclusion section, section and always have our black and brown students plastered all over these pages. I'm talking to a student now who was included in one of these pages without their consent. Really? Yes, and BC did not contact them before um, putting them as the face of diversity and inclusion of of these people. Oh, they never do that. Yeah. Exactly. And it's just... And I don't, and I don't know, somebody jump in on this. If I'm wrong, I don't have a lot of information around this, but I know, I don't know, it's very hard to determine what VCU doesn't and doesn't own and what rights they have yeah. to your face and like to your work. So I they own a lot. They, they have access to your information that they are now like trying to get shared in a database with RPD. And my other thing is like, VCUPD is like the number one thing I think they get people on is like trespassing, I'm yes. pretty sure. And like a majority of that is like black, like usually black folks that are like going through VCU. And it's like, how can you say this? But on your like website, like like I said in my speech, like you say, you're seamlessly integrated into the community. Of like, don't lie. Like, and that's, and that's like the whole like, um, that's the whole like bottom line of the situation is like, we know these things are happening. Everyone, to some extent, understands what's happening, how they take it, and what they see the solutions as, like, are very, like vastly different. But to me, like this year, like we just need to start bucking. Like honestly, like shutting down VCUPD, like stations on campus, like blocking them, sit-ins, this stuff. Stuff needs to start happening again until they like have to say something. Then there's no point because like they'll sweep it under the rug as long as they can, but enough noise will be good just with within uh, our student base as well uh you have this underground culture of like how to act or how to be on campus when it, like to avoid interactions with vcupd so like we've heard it all the time always carry your id while you're on campus or wear a backpack while you're on campus or you know these are the certain streets that we know that you know vcupd will be on bikes or or they're they're stopping people at just because even like as students like we have the id but we're still like intimidated by that. And I think that as that, like, this should be super concerning to everyone that, you know, you don't carry an ID, you could get charged with trespassing. Like that's, that's insane, especially hearing from this public safety model. And then you have this underground culture. It's like, okay, well, obviously something that you're doing is not translating. 
Or like you, like Monroe Park, like you can't, they'll, they'll get you for trespassing if you're a student and you're staying at Monroe Park after a specific park. Yeah. Like that, like the park that they created to literally push out homeless people. Yeah. And then let's say like, which is obviously like beyond unjust, but then it's, then it's not for students and then students can't, you know, especially black and brown students can't be there, you know? So. Well, my idea, I'm not going to say what, what, what direct action I want to take, but I just want to say that I think putting extra pressure on the UNIF department this semester is imperative. imperative. That is VCU's like number one, yes. like direct way to like get to students and, and tell them that like what we're doing is okay, how we right. do this is okay. And like giving you a, a botched history of Richmond to make it seem like these problems were pre-VCU, nothing VCU, um, related has to do anything with it because he's trying right it's a very much like conditioning like it's almost like their it's like their introduction propaganda course it's like we love diversity and like inclusion like freshmen don't worry like you'll always this is a how many times during your freshman year did you hear safe space seriously absolutely and they condition before you even come on campus at orientations and they Give this, give a whole space, however long, to VCUPD to come in and, and talk to you and talk to you and, and present you. themselves and make themselves familiar with this you. This is what you're supposed to do when you're drunk at a party, even though we interrupt parties all the time, break them up and scare everyone there. Or, or if you call the police because your friend is blacked out, we won't we won't charge you. That's a lie. Or if you're yeah. sexually assaulted on campus, we won't be able to do anything about it if you don't have like a literal recording of it. Exactly. I think too, like uh, kind of another thing going in tandem with that um, is when we're talking about um, you know orientation. I we were, we're we were in contact with um, faculty, so there is there is push for faculty too that I talk about like decolonizing syllabuses and like how to do the that, that decolonization training in um, classroom settings. Talking about like landing knowledge maps or talking about um, you know the the the, the impact of VCU on the area. So. When we're talking about these issues, we're not just talking from it's like students too. There's like specific faculty, especially that are already pushing for these things, um, and kind of like the process of decolonizing. So I think when BC administration, you know, like acts as though they're they're the primary pusher for all these changes to be made on campus. There's like faculty and students that have been doing this work and that are continuing to do this work. And BC administration is like, no, we we want inclusivity, but we only want it this far, you know. And when you talk about inclusivity and uh, diversity, you can't just have it this far. I'm curious to hear um, how your experiences have been as far as like the syllabus work, because we've run into so many obstacles as far as we can't require you know faculty yeah. to put anything in the syllabus. They don't even have to put the well, just yeah. that extensive basic. <laughs> That's everyone's so, like they don't even have the, to the inclusion statement is not required. Yes. It, it's it's not required. That's what we were talking to like the faculty coordinators. Right? I also think there's a link. I think there's like these systems in academia that state that that of course there should be a wide wide array of, of perspectives being taught. And I, I, I understand that. But I think the like the university systems like across this country have this notion that like they can instill and uh, like keep practices that are actively supporting white supremacy like in our campuses, and that's like part of this allowing wide perspectives when it's really just rooted in racism. I think I think like it, the fact, yeah, it is racist. That's, that's legitimate. But I also think we have to start calling a spade a spade because right. like it's not 
trying to produce like like peer reviewed and like extremely researched perspectives when they like nuance and then like the the ability to get like these like research perspectives published are like almost exclusively towards white men you know what i mean so it's, it's not like these perspectives that we're trying to like push for and like diversity and all that stuff they're first off they're not like that hard to ask for it's the bare minimum and then also it's not like like they're not as bad they're not of the same validity there's just like there's less i guess there's less holding back in terms of uh like the perspectives that are being taught so i think i think that's like a big thing to keep in mind as well a lot of times people think academia uh, should be, you know, apolitical. Academia should be something that's like, dis uh, like distinct from what's going on. But at the end of the day, and it's something that we talk about all the time, is like in the classroom setting, especially, you know, these are things that students from St. Lindsay's classroom have to deal with. Brown and black, indigenous, queer, uh, disabled, uh, undocumented students have to go back um, to wherever they're living and deal with these issues because these are real. And a lot of times in the classroom, they're like, in the classroom, we won't talk about this because we don't, you know, want to like impact anybody's way because people that have different experiences know, but the most marginalized people are having to deal with these consequences and you don't even want to address it as reality in the classroom. It's like these students are dealing with it on a daily basis, like, and then they come to the classroom and, and it's, their experiences are completely disregarded because the content has to be pushed out. And it's, it's like, no, content in academia should really have the necessity to be experiences and the research that's being done into it. You know, that's a huge part to it. That's a lot, a lot of the times why, um, I think that's a lot of the times why this research isn't being published or these studies aren't being published because it, it, it has too much experience that, you know, white supremacist institutions don't want people to know about. And there's also a notion that um, because like our, like our systems of, of academia have like been this way for so long that they're the correct way. And I think that's wrong. Like, like, like I said last last week, when it comes to like Columbus and Gagnon's Khan being like some of the the paramount figures, like also we learn stuff like the Dark Ages. Like that's just for Europe. Like if you look a couple thousand miles west, those were the golden ages for another like society. So I think it's like the lens in which we're like, like all these perspectives are being forced onto us as university students. Like it's really important for us to strip those because a lot of them are rooted in just like bigotry. Right. We kind of talked about that last week about how like a lot of times for us, like personal experience aren't academic enough or like your personal experience with racism or anything, you know, isn't enough for it to be backed by, it has to be backed by research or whatever. Like they don't, they don't take it as valid. Like I remember being in a classroom and someone saying, well, like this is like my experience with this issue and someone being like, well, it isn't about your personal experience that that that's not like something to learn from and like that's just so like and, and that also just creates a classroom culture where like not only as a student when you speak out about this stuff or you share your truth are you corrected by faculty but you're corrected by other students like other students you know badgering on or or trying to put you back into that place of like what academia gatekeeping like it's it's bad yeah and so I think talking about this too and like kind of the unsafe spaces it creates, especially for marginalized communities, I kind of want to open it just to everybody to talk about like what other unsafe space on campus they want to kind of like dissect or discuss because there, there's issues with like 
I know there's a lot of stuff going on with VCU Arts. I know VCU Greek Life. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, forever and Always is super unsafe, especially um, for marginalized uh, individuals. Yeah, I can speak on that. Um, I can only go so far into the rabbit hole that is Greek Life because, one, I'm not a member of Greek Life. And the common argument is, oh, if you're not a part of it, you can't speak on it. Yeah, there's rampant, and, and this goes across all Greek orgs. Like, they're um, the only, there's like one queer Greek org on campus, not really that informed about them because they don't get the same platforming, probably funding or attention that the other ones do for very obvious reasons. But um, Greek orgs are gendered as fuck. Like, they understand that, they've acknowledged that in statements addressing their racism. They have no intention on dismantling it because they understand the very nature of their organizations are rooted in classism, homophobia, racism, all of that. So they would have to be abolished in order to kind of find a new way to think of fraternities or sororities in like uh, maybe a decolonized sense, which probably wouldn't be based in Greek culture anyways, but whatever. Yeah, they're highly gendered. um, And within that, you don't really get a good array of different sexualities most people in Greek life are cis like society you know even the people who are queer openly queer like they can't really associate that in any way with their relationship to the organization their membership in the organization but so like I can really speak more to like black orcs and I can the white ones because I kind of avoid those like the plague as you can see like they'll like the the black fraternities on campus when the police unrest happened like they had this march with men in suits black men in suits with police escort to show that they weren't thugs and that's why they don't deserve to be shot oh i'm a black man with a phd and i can put a suit on so that means i'm less of a threat so don't kill me when instead they could have broken down those ideas about um needing to pull yourself up by your bootstraps to ensure security and safety, which should be guaranteed to every human being point blank period, or maybe calling out the rampant homophobia, massage, noir, transphobia, queerphobia, all of that within the black community, especially perpetuated by cishet black men and women. And they choose not to do that. They choose not to acknowledge it. They choose not to make events for queer black folk. And I can't say that I would expect anything different from the primarily white organizations either. They're just in general, not very, um, the idea of having community and sisterhood and brotherhood to me were very appealing, uh, going into my freshman year of college. But I want to say, especially after the events of this, like I really rethought like my ideas of the binary and what does it mean to have a sister or brother? Like what about siblings? You know, like, why is everything, you know, super gendered? Even on like a practical sense, Greek orgs are rampant with COVID on campus um, since they haven't stopped any of their social outings or in-person meetings or taking any precautions. Um, a lot of them live in the same house. Like they're not self-isolating um, as they should be, yet they're getting more funding. And yet these organizations also have problems with racism quite rampantly as well. I just think that, uh, honestly, student money should not, $70,000 of student money should not go towards that per year. They pay their dues. 
that organization is a national accredited organization. They can figure it out from there because most of the time, like I see a lot of these, like doing these charity drives, but like, it's not going to organizations that I know are vetted. It's not really like impactful, quote unquote, it's philanthropy. Quick, it's, it's the quickest or it's, they can find. Exactly. It's the quickest, easiest or they can find 501c ass, like, you know, white saviors. Um, and it's just, honestly, there's no point. It's, it's literally just to keep ruling class interest, nepotism and uh, wealth within the same circles. So, and it's spreading COVID, which will get more people on the board of like abolishing Greek life. But honestly, I'm just not really seeing a point. Or if they are going to be like still on campus, um, the popular idea is that we can have them just go through the process that regular student orgs go through. And that way they can be held um, accountable by a student body, which is us uh, through our judicial board when there is incidents of racism, uh, prejudice, because students should have a say on what their money goes to, who their money goes to. And if they can't prove to consistently fix these issues that are within the organizations, they just won't get funding. Uh, you know, any, any sort of organization yeah. or any structure or any system that's directly oppressing or discriminating people like has to go. And I think innately when you opt in to join these organizations, like a lot of people don't take into consideration the history that goes behind it. You right. know, the, 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 how fraternities, like their houses, even on campus, like gentrify entire neighborhoods because they built, you know, buy out next to, you know, multiple ones next to each other and then push out people of lower income um, to other areas in the city. That's one, you know, noise, no, especially when you have these houses in areas like, let's say like Randolph or like Oregon Hill, which is like areas like that, um, you know, noise disruptions, like having, tons of drunk, like, white men just roaming around doing whatever they want, essentially, and just, like, having parties day after day to day is, like, not sustainable for, like, building, like, communities of care. Um, and so I think they have to go, too. Right. No org on campus should be able to reserve the right to, like, deny you membership just because, like, in this, these are very real factors. They are allowed to deny you because you're too openly queer, because you're not Christian enough for them, because you don't have this correct gender identity for them. And, like, what other student org on campus is allowed to discriminate on, on those basis like, quite openly? It's like, no org should be able to reserve the right to deny someone something because even though their merits are there, even though the requirements are met, their political affiliation, racial identity, physical appearance, gender identity, sexuality, all determines whether or not they are good enough to make it into this organization. And, like, because of that, that allows for such manipulation, coercion, ex, you know, extortion on the, the end of those who are already initiated into the organization and to doing things that are like, kind of like, there's no secret, like there is hazing on campus to what I, I don't know, I'll never know, but there definitely is hazing on campus. And like the fact that like, there's, there are people who will have certain identities that will make them more susceptible to hazing. That is really like racially based violence, gender based violence, sexuality based violence. And it's, like, the fact that any, like, Greek person is, like, willingly trying to defend, like, the right of these organizations to exist as they are and have the powers they do to not be held accountable for, like, said actions is kind of ridiculous. Right. I don't think, too, like, when I came to VCU, I really didn't think it was, like, a university that was that way. But, like, being here, it, it obviously is. And, like, I don't think people are ready for that conversation. Like, hazing 
occurs on campus in Greek life at alarming rates. Like what they are made to do. Like I've had like people tell me straight up, like what they've been made to do, things that they've been made to say, like yelling, screaming, like on both, like at, at any org. So it's crazy how much like money to get, but also how much, um, I guess, leeway they have with no restrictions. Really, as as a institution, it's almost as if like they're untouchable. And it's super concerning. They are. Yeah, they are. They are because that's what happens as a member of SGA when the fucking five moves stuff happened. They told us, oh, that's FSL's jurisdiction. No one can do anything to them. Let the national org handle it. The same national org that does not require them to do diversity and inclusion screenings as bullshit as they are. They won't even do that before they do rush. They don't care how you feel about race. They don't care how, how you feel about politics. Um, like when they do the rush process on paper, they think that, you know what, uh, as long as you're pretty blonde and skinny, you'll probably yep. get in. Oh, right. Cause a lot too, a lot of orgs are explicitly fat phobic, like yes. fat phobia, like body image, like uh, hair, anything like, explicitly like they do that when they when they rush so it's like these things are explicitly happening and especially too like are we going to talk about sexual assault in great life yeah. like, are, we, are we going to have those difficult conversations oh, yeah like the, all the, the time? person who was openly outed on campus whose instagram is back up yeah on all mm-hmm. private it, yes the org hasn't yes. said anything i have friends in the org who they're just saying oh it's a national issue we can't say anything yep. nope and see and this is why we need student oversight of these organizations, point blank period, as soon as possible. And I don't even think administration will fight us on that. They don't realize what our intentions are with it in terms of the decolonial aspects of it. But they, they do see those orgs as a liability at, at times. Um, the only thing I'm concerned is they're going to protect them because they want alumni donors. Right. I feel like the people in these orgs know that they are untouchable. And that is why going back to what Stephen was saying earlier, how they move with so much entitlement. And, and it has me thinking about the concept of a cop in your head and why police join the police force. I'm like, why do people join these organizations? Because I'm like, I'm sure after everything that's listed here, I'm sure they know that they will be able to violently exclude people in these orgs and, and, and violently <clears throat> uphold like classism and racism. And, and that is they do it with no remorse and, and, and no consideration of others. So I'm thinking like, right. I don't know, it's, it's just incredible. Yeah. And it's highly visible too, because like our version of like Greek row, I guess you see on Carrie, right? Carrie, like right next to where campus starts, you go out there during welcome week on any given weekend, you can see the type of activities that are happening. You, these things are highly like barstool. Like, let's talk about that. Like these, the things they do, the videos, like they, like, honestly, it, it's, it's videotaped. People talk about it all the time. So for admin or even like the people who are supposed to be holding the counter will say, oh, well, you know, it's up to someone else or, oh, well, you know, we really know it's a straight lie. Yeah. Yes. And laughing. There's a whole different side of VC that I'm sure I have not even touched because I'm not wide enough or skinny enough to be there. But even like, even that aspect, like I know that there's like, there's the fat phobia, there's the like sexual assault, there's enabling of inappropriate behavior all around. Like honestly, like you said, like in terms of sexual assault, like that enabling behavior of like not holding in. And even if, if your org isn't going to hold you accountable, like, you know, you have to hold each other accountable and that doesn't even happen. It's ridiculous that this brotherhood, right? How are you making each other better if you're not pushing each other to become better people? 
Exactly. No, exactly. No, they're not. They are pushing each other. It's enabling. All enabling. It's like these missions of like enhancing our own self to like brotherhood and sisterhood, like like go out the window as soon as like you join. Like it's like the, the appealing nature to especially towards like freshmen um, or like sophomores. Yeah. Uh, looking for that sense of like unity and community, it's like a quick buy-in into doing that. And then after, after you've, you've been brought in, it's like, we're here now, so it's just, yeah, yeah. this is what it is. This is for all the, the youngins listening right now. You don't want brotherhood, you want sisterhood. You have them gendered as, you know, like constructs. You want camaraderie. That's what you want. You want comrades. All right, Period. You want Period. Just like that. Get a comrade. Get some comrades in here. And that, that is what's going to carry you today because like, I was very much lulled in by the idea of a sisterhood and sisterhood with a CIS. Let's put that, make that very clear because they would never touch a trans woman, let alone a black trans woman and let them in those orgs because they, I don't think any of them have ever done that. And maybe they have and they're like painted as like a tokenized victory to like excuse the rest of the transphobia. But like, yeah, just rethink about why you want to have like, and, and what familial connections maybe you're missing that are like, making these an attractive option to you yes it's nice to have an idea of like your chosen family but your chosen family needs to be one that's going to hold you accountable it's going to make you a better person and not enable the most like toxic aspects of you exactly right because you on campus like those those forms of community are acceptable right but like the coalition that we're trying to build is not exactly i was just just about to pop off and pop off that they're given like VCU makes it difficult to find spaces like this yeah. and to find coalitions and to find people, to find orgs that are doing student work because, oh, just for so many reasons. For example, the the organization, the org fair. Sobo fair. Yes, the Sobo fair. Boom, Look so at Sobo fair. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, you have to be a registered organization. The coalition is not registered, like, period, because... There, it's, it's, and show up. And who's going to remove you? Exactly. And because there are already so many restrictions that they put on orgs when, when you're registered. And well, three orgs get first pick, obviously. Exactly. And first pick. And, and just, they give them so much space and then purposely silence and make spaces like ours invisible and, yeah, try and silence us and push us farther out into the margins. And it's... Yeah, too. And then also, if once you do, or you are registered as a student org, they'll, they'll threaten to take your re- those registrations like that away, the funding, anything. So it's like they, they try to keep you in line by, by threatening that disciplinary action. So it's like, again, makes it so difficult, like as an org to build these coalitions of like care and healing when it's like, you know, you, you have like admin breathing down your neck, like all these like other institutions. It, it's ridiculous. I also wanted to talk to y'all too. When we're talking about unsafe spaces, especially kind of like transitioning a little bit from Greek life, um, but orgs themselves on campus, I think that's that's a conversation we need to have because I think there's a lot of times organizations on campus, um, you know, that aren't targeting specific like specifically social justice organizations, um, external organizations, cultural orgs, um, 
whether they be uh, like, uh, I'm trying to think of other ones, cultural orgs, philanthropy orgs on campus, mm-hmm. um, these other sort of organizations, they're ones that want to do these performative tactics in order to reinforce the fact that they are doing, you know, good work, that they're supposed to be doing what they're doing. But at the end of the day, that, that's just what it is, performative, and that the adherence to their mission is innately more important than, let's say, like the fight for indigenous rights, the fight for black lives, the fight for undocumented students, you know. Um, Cultural organizations in particular, especially ha- like have this sort of uh, notion that the methodology has to be directly in line with the mission or that the organization ceases to exist. No, you can be a cultural or philanthropy or um, environmental organization and still have solidarity with social justice issues on campus because if you're not fighting for human rights, then why is your organization there to begin with? So especially labeled as an organization fighting for human rights. I think that's like, I think when you're, when you're highlighting performative activism, I think that's my, my biggest gripe with a lot of um, the performative spaces here on campus. Like we, we talk about like, like a lot, a lot of hot button issues like sexual assault and violence on your campus. Talk about um, like philanthropy, um, talk about like, like organizations which help specific student interests and environmental coalitions, all of this stuff. But it's like, if you're if you're at the end of the day not practicing what you preach, then I don't believe you should be able to preach what you're saying. You know what I mean? So I think I think that's like a, a general thing that I see a lot going on with like unsafe spaces. And then also um, one thing that I did want to add and I wanted to bring up, and it's something we were talking about earlier about like the defunding of, of police. Like I really implore like the university to like with with the money that that we hope to have from the defunding of police, like. They make those safe spaces. Like, why do we not have a woman's center? You know what I mean? Um, and, and then also, like, the, 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 the queer and, like, uh, like uh, the queer safe spaces, they're, like, supremely underfunded on campus. You know what I mean? Like, uh, why do we not have environmental coalitions having spaces on campus? Like, we don't, we don't need to, to have the establishment of, I guess, old guard idealisms, which, like I said earlier, are rooted in bigotry being on our campus. So, um, Yeah. Exactly. And I think a lot of discussions of defunding the police, that's why it comes up in so many other departments across campus is because they need funding and they are underfunded and they're making cuts currently and they're pushing adjunct faculty out, which consists of like black and brown, queer faculty already underfunded in purpose and, and somehow can't find the money to keep faculty that we rely on or keep mm-hmm. certain things that we already do rely on even in in queer spaces i i don't know too much about like the situation specifically but there was a lavender summit and like it was a weekend and a bunch of queer students could sign up and like go to williamsburg and it they canceled it for i don't know whatever reason and so it's like the small spaces that we do have are slowly being right. like depreciated right. and like slowly continuing to be cut. And then we know where like so much money lies and where so much money is being, what a ton of money is being like allotted for. Yeah. And so, yeah. and I also think that that highlights like why when we're asking for these spaces, why we want that level of autonomy, because it's like you're saying with, with like, like the spaces that are on campus that are provided for these these communities are often so um, like dilapidated in terms of like like what they can provide. But that's why we like we're saying that the universities like they've had their opportunity to give these idealistic like 
interpretation of what we want from these spaces and they failed so consistently yeah. for so long so it's like that's we're not asking for autonomy because we want to control narr- narratives we are but like the reason why we want to do that is because they failed for so long so I, I think that's like that's like I think it's really easy to misconstrue our anger and uh, uh, being upset with like like notions of like okay these are just emotional people who have like who, who feel some type of way about these issues but it's like no you you, you fail for so long i think that's how too like especially as somebody who's done like students uh, like a good amount of student organizing and activism on campus like a lot of times you get painted as that as as the outsider as the outlier that your issues that your that your political affiliations are too radical for some organization you know cultural organizations philanthropy organizations environmental coalitions student interest groups like these places on campus a lot of times when you bring these up uh i know personally me like i've been victimized you know multiple times for having specific issues about uh like social justice issues or wanting more transparency yeah, wanting, I feel more, that. Ability, wanting yes, more representation yes. in your organization wanting uh to hold the system to be accountable for it and a lot of times organizations they don't want to touch it and you know because it's easier to ignore it than it is to address it. And you can easily just say that your mission doesn't align with it. That'll de facto opt out any opportunity you have to right. kind of push against a system that's not working for you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, we're not being radical about the, the world we want to build. Like Mikey said, you know, these, these administrators, they haven't been doing the work for us that we need and the opportunities like, up, oh, like it's done. And so Kalia, our, you know, our mentor, like talks to us all the time about creating the world and painting the world that you want, you know, be creative, be free, the sky's the limit sort of thing. And it's because like, we, we know, especially what systems work for us and what don't. And it's like, I'm tired of putting the systems that I want created for me in the hands of administration that has no clear, like a clear interest in not uh, wanting to make the same priority for their systems as I do. and their their like interests are so clearly monetarily driven, but everything they do is so clearly with the interest of like financial gain in mind that it's like how can we not be this way? Yeah, that. But like people like us are the ones who are making the this campus like more inclusive, and like they're just gonna turn around and profit off of that yeah. from us. So like these spaces that are being made by us on campus, the the scrutiny that we get for being too radical to we're going to have to deal with like all this shit now and like be like stigmatized and all that. But like once our work finally has like, has, you know, some fruits uh, to show for that labor, like they'll be gonna, co-opted. Yeah, it'll co-opted. be co-opted and they'll, they'll take advantage and, and credit for everything we've done. And if they're co-opting a, a list of demands, imagine when they co-opt like a woman's center or a queer center or an artistic space on campus. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I think bringing up what Kalia has instilled in all of us to dream big and like go for bigger and create the world that we want to live in and feel safe in. I think going forward, talking about how do we, like if we are dreaming of these spaces, how are, like, how are we going to make sure that they're safe and how can we keep administration's hands off of the spaces that, that we're creating, especially I don't know, I think going back to VCU's participation in, in movement suppression, yep. and that's why, yeah, they paint us as too loud when, when really they're just silencing us, and they need, they need our work and our voices to be kept at a limit, and we can't get to the sky at a limit because the system that we're operating in needs us at a limit, um, so, so their priorities can still be prioritized. I think student power, like, especially kind of interacts directly with that because 
at one point it was just, well, and we've known each other for, for, for like, it's been a while, like two and a half years, probably like two years, yes. something like that. We were, we were, we were with, uh, in like library rooms and student power, just like three or four of us having conversations yes. about like tact, like going for like what we want to do. A lot of times as student organized on campus, you feel like there's not a lot of traction, but that's like intentional. Like VCU, like intentionally is attempting to suppress us. We have issues with student power all the time where people come and talk to us and they're like, I didn't even know you, you guys existed on campus. Like I didn't know that um, I have all these issues that I want to fight and advocate for, but I didn't even know there was a space to do that or a platform to do that. And it's like, we've been here like all along. It's just administration doesn't necessarily want us to do the work that we're doing. And so, uh, Star, you probably say it a lot better than me, but um, you, it's uh, Audre Lorde's quotes. Yeah, self-care is an active resistance. So like when we're talking about, um, you know, making sure that we're like, maintaining ourselves and like a lot of times these these organizations also fall out like organizers on campus because there is burnout because you're having to deal so much with pushing for things that you believe fundamentally are basic human rights towards people that don't value those as basic human rights and so burnout is like inevitable so a lot of times these organizations these structures and systems which are trying to build community communities of care are easily dismantled because administration has told us so many times you need to do the work for it you need to have meetings for it you need to propose for it you need to talk to students about it it's like, no, if you're building a system for me, why do I need to go out and do the research for you to build those systems? Right, what am I paying you to do? Like, honestly, that's what I always tell. Whenever they would tell us to go do the research ourselves, I'm just like, like all of you guys have PhDs and you're relying on undergrad students to do this research for you. So then that you can, you know, institute a public safety model and then capitalize off of that while we see none of that, none of the profit and even like not even profit in terms of pay, but just resources for our departments for what we're trying to study, like money and everything. Like it, it is so, so frustrating. And then, yeah, like speaking to what you were talking about, Stephen, like it's so important. Like self-care is a political act. Self-care is a radical act and, and, and taking time for yourself and taking a break from like this oppressive system white supremacist state that we live in is so I can't even like express the importance of it because like it white like white supremacist institutions this world we live in they want us to burn out they want us to be hard on ourselves they want us to hate ourselves to hate our comrades you know to feel jealous to let our ego get in the way these are all things that that they directly you know want to happen and and try to make happen but yes, I think like what's what Star and Stephen were saying about how they make you they're so adamant about making the organizers do the work. And I think that speaks to whether they're intentionally like pushing or they know that their system doesn't work for us and they don't want it to work. Like that's they don't really want to help us build the system because they know that our system requires complete dismantling of their system. Yeah, pushing, like, creating and creating the actual system work back on us just speaks to where they stand as far as... Yeah, it's just indicative of, like, what what their true interests are. And I think for us, like, especially, like, student organizers and people that have, you know, been involved with the administration directly, like, we have conversations. We know this to be, like, the reality of the situation. And so so much work that organizing is is just, like, informing people of, like, 
kind of to decolonize the way that they think about specific things. You know, people are taught that administration, VCU administrators, organizations and institutions like universities are built to support them directly. And that if they do so, as a, if, if, they, if they fail to do so, it's just a mistake they have. No, these organizations aren't going to do anything. Um, and they only respond as a result of, you know, stepping too far over the line or uh, students on campus addressing specific issues. You know, a lot of times, like these are these are, as Mikey had said earlier, really retroactive as opposed to proactive solutions. Right. That's why I think it's so important to hold that space and like allow yourself to feel joy and pride when you do have those like small like these accomplishments that like we have made or even like within your life. It's so important to give yourself that acknowledgement. You know, because yes, we live in this white supremacist capitalist institution, right? But we're surviving, we're thriving. Like we we love, we're loving each other, loving our community, like loving ourselves. That is something that like all of us should feel pride in. But yet, like in some ways, it's so watered down that it doesn't even feel like an accomplishment. And I think the last thing we kind of wanted to do a little chat about, um, especially in terms of our experiences, you know, we want to make sure that this episode's a little bit more experience driven too. Um, and it's obviously dependent on the comfortability of people to talk about it. But I know uh, for me, especially like I've been living in Richmond uh, the last, well, for quite a while, but especially, you know, during the last few months of everything that's been ongoing. And I think a lot of students at home aren't aware of the realities of the state-sanctioned violence that's occurring every day in Richmond. Two students, two community members by BCPD, by RPD, by BSP, by the National Guard, um, by the Capitol Police, by all these um, different, you know, systems of oppression. And so I don't even know where we get started with it. Um, but if, you know, people would want to maybe speak to that a little bit, I think it'd be really important to bridge a gap between the narratives that students are receiving from VCU and the narratives that are directly occurring, you know, people that are organ- like involved in, you know, this organizing work in terms of like, uh, you know, doing actions, you know, mutual aid, um, kind of, uh, even, even, even on the content front, like, uh, student power does a lot of times and education and the process of decolonizing education. So. I'll bite. Um, <laughs> so, uh, with the scope of VCUPD in particular, they were not as hands-off as VCU was trying to make it seem like, especially the first couple nights, like VCPD was actively like policing campus, hiding in the bushes by Schaefer, trying to like pick up and grab protesters. They um, were like riding through Harrison Street, like pulled out maze, threatening me and like some other folks who were sitting on our friend's like porch not even, like, in the street, chilling on the porch, past curfew, and had the mace out of the side of the car and were, like, threatening us to get in the, the house or they were going to come in and mace us. They've been actively, like, doing surveillance, for sure, for, like, RPD, working in conjunction with the NBSP, Sheriff's Department, all of that, um, using their, their, like, precincts on Broad Street. I'm pretty sure it's, like, base operations sometimes, like, our undercover vehicles. Like, that's where mm-hmm. I saw, like, a lot of the unmarked vans at for a little bit, especially then they, the, the mass arrest started happening. And even then, like, what was it yesterday? We saw them with zip ties. Just walking around. Like, yeah, and just had a bunch of zip ties right on them like, already. Uh, Christians in that area, sort of, just, like, walking around, like, regularly patrolling, regularly yeah. saying, like, regularly doing the time Exactly. Tour. And and Mike O'Berry, like what is he like interim chief of VCU police or whatever? 
he like had recorded me and my friend walking home after like said like fuck 12 to them like he just like rolled like following us with his like phone out recording no idea where that recording went but definitely he did that (laughs) Um, and on like the wider scope like just pd in general like rpd their tactics of like using campus as like a way to um like they're definitely like taking some some notes from bcu pd about how best to like police those areas now like that are like by campus like the fan and such like honestly i really never saw rpd before this unrest like that too much they were probably like going and like policing other neighborhoods more frequently but now they have to go to the fan now they're going to oregon hill and like but you'll see like six or seven bcpd in like the same like block hemisphere areas now too yeah no i think overall presence increased surveillance increased tenfold in general, it just shows how grossly overfunded these institutions are. Yeah, I'm, just to speak on like, uh, to first to speak on the VCU PD's like involvement, there definitely was 30 to 40 fully riot geared police officers shooting tear gas days one through three right outside of the precincts you were talking about on broad, like indiscriminately. Uh, the violence, like in terms of uh, one-on-one experiences is definitely under uh, reported for VCU police. And then also, even though next month is the jurisdiction about how VCU is going to, uh, to potentially have more uh, like involvement in their police and the community, it seems like RPD's also been doing the same for us. Like our campuses are full of Richmond police officers. I know the other day I was followed by VCU PD when I was walking my dogs the whole time. Like it, it's, it's pretty clear. There definitely is like an influx of police activity that has happened and I understand there's a lot of like unrest going on but I don't think that's excusable I think that the violence on the police side here in Richmond is extremely underreported and uh, I think it's in the university's best interest to, to display that nothing is going on but I think that's extremely disingenuous and I also, just for like listeners at home kind of listening in and may not know when we say like on the ground, like we're not just necessarily talking about like uh, those organizing direct actions or those doing like direct work in terms of like um, holding like PD accountable, but like on the ground means like living in Richmond. Yeah, throughout the city. Like, Period. Community members in Richmond are, you know, and, and students that maybe aren't directly involved in actions are, this is occurring to them as well. You know, community members are being harassed as a result of it because over-policing in the fan is making it so, you know, all the time, like, especially, like, I, I mean, I, I face it, but, like, black and brown individuals walking through the fan, like, you'll be followed by BCPD or RPD, you know, had sort of a instance the other day where it was, you know, a housing and secure individual that may be experiencing uh, what seemed to be, like, a mental health crisis, um, needing assistance in BCPD directly following this individual, um, trying to to get them off the campus, like literally following behind them while they're like driving in a wheelchair, calling in backup, calling in a second officer, BCUPD officer to get out of their car and to go address the situation. You know, th- this is what's occurring at BCU. And I think a lot of times students don't want to hear it because it, it makes it sound bad that they go to an institution that is complicit in these acts of oppression and discrimination. Well, it's like, no, just, you know, advocate for these things to become, like, a priority for for the organization that you attend. Like, by attending this university, you are directly responsible for making sure that the, the, the space you're taking up is respectful 
of the community and also ensuring that you're prioritizing community needs and uh, demands at the forefront. I think when we say on the ground too, we're not just talking about, you know, organizers doing the work, but like anybody involved in Richmond, this is, you're on the ground, like you're doing, you're here, you're present, you're involved in the, the larger narrative, especially if let's say like you're, you know, compromising, can't attend like actions and whatnot. Um, you know, your experience as a black, brown, disabled, undocumented, queer, um, indigenous individual is still just as valid as being on the ground as somebody else that's been, you know, like, let's say like organizing actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, returning to what Star said, as far as like self-care being an act of resistance, I think this, the clear suppression of movement and of just our lived experience and, and coming for our individual lives and showing up to homes, following cars, following people, is making it, I feel like they're just attempting to suppress us like at our, where we're trying to be the most safe, obviously. In all things, yeah. Exactly, and trying to, where we decompress, where we can rebuild ourselves in our moments of, not weakness, but in our down moments, that is where they're trying to come for us and trying to attack us from an emotional, psychological standpoint. And and, and we can't be safe even outside of the work. I think that's so important that you bring that up actually, because I know me and Star talk about this literally all the time as like students of color. Like if you look, then we're talking about like, 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 I guess safe spaces on campus. If you're like a, a white student, you're safe everywhere on campus. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you don't have to face this pressure. So the one place that we don't have to face the pressures of, of extreme police presence, you know, systematic racism is the comfort of our homes. And if that's being, if, if they're in ta- if their tactics to, to keep that, that like our narratives quiet or to show up to those places, um, intimidate outside of those places, it's like, what do we have? You know what I mean? Right. So I think they know that that like your home space is like you said for students of color, like it's it's very much like uh, the space that you curate to make your own, but also a space that you can feel vulnerable and and feel safe. And that double consciousness isn't working over time all the time when you're at, at home. If you live, obviously, if you live by yourself, you feel safe around roommates and whatnot. But I know for me, like that's what my home is for me. And and the fact that they're like following people, or even I think there was an incident where I think RPD actually went up to someone's door. Those incidents, it, it, it makes you feel so insecure about this place that originally was something that like you created to be your own little sanctuary. Like it's 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 targeting in in the most expansive extent. It's super disheartening and 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 it's not safe. It's dangerous. Like for a lot of community members and students alike. I mean, I know for me, just driving around like where I live, like I see cops, RPD and BCUPD in restaurants, coffee shops, places where like we as students go all the time. They're eating, drinking, they're they're parking their cars and just leaving them. People on bikes, people walking on foot everywhere. It's like you can't go around the corner without seeing a police officer. Yeah, I think too, like in terms of progress, essentially like students that are listening or even community members or youth in general that may be listening um, to us having these conversations, like they're intended to be uncomfortable, uh, especially if you're, if you know, you're somebody from not necessarily like a disenfranchised or marginalized group, you know, white, uh, like head, um, 
like cis folk, like these are these are individuals that should be comfortable, uncomfortable having a conversation because the thing is like marginalized communities, communities of color, queer communities, disabled communities, indigenous communities, housing and secure communities, these are these are people that have been, you know, established at a disadvantage already and we've been trying to talk and present our narratives and they're they're not being heard and they're being silenced and they're being impressed. So I think it's going to be uncomfortable for some people listening to this and like reestablishing the notion that, you know, these PD, you think maybe assisting, you know, your communities, but they're not assisting all communities. They're not assisting other communities. And so when we're talking about defunding and abolition, like defunding PD and defunding prisons and defunding ICE and abolition of these systems of oppression, for a lot of us, these aren't radical ideas. You know, these are ideas that are, you know, things that we think are basic human rights. These are, fundamental, these are systems that just simply are obstacles in our way of true freedom. Mm-hmm. And so when, you know, individuals are, you know, saying that they're feeling uncomfortable from, from these conversations, like uh, you should be, you definitely should be because you're going to have to undo and it's not undo, but you're going to have to atone for the things that these systems of oppression have done to marginalized communities. And it, it starts by understanding and supporting communities at, at the forefront, you know. Um, there is a place, you know, this isn't there is a place of progress to be made. You know, individuals, organizers, student organizers, community organizers have been doing this work already, and there is an established path to kind of establishing steps towards collective freedom for all. And it starts by adhering and listening to people that are having these experiences. And so, uh, Ange and Taylor, what would be the best ways uh, students or community members or just anybody in general can reach out to your organizations or assist in supporting the work that you guys are doing? I'm very, I'm very um, direct person, so you can just hit me up on Instagram, um, Taylor M. Maloney. I mean, I'm tagged on the VCU page or the VCU student power page. I'm at... And also, like, there's the VCU SGA Instagram, which I also have access to if you want to be a little bit more professional about it. But the best way to give support is, I mean, the first best way is to show up. Always show up and show out. So if you're on campus or if you're able-bodied and available to be on standby, like on your laptop or something, you know, aiding in, like, comms or um, direct you know, mutual aid action on the ground, that's always optimal. But another method is to pay the people doing the work. And I'm not going to do all that much work. I do a little bit of work. But, you know, if y'all want to hit me up for my cash at Venmo, that, that is how you do the work. All right. I don't flowery words. Like, all right. So... Um, <laughs> yes, it's a follow-up. You can interact with the coalition on our Instagram at VCU Arts Student Coalition and you can also email us at vcuartssc at gmail.com I do run the Instagram yes there's a black queer woman running the Instagram and also just anyone else listening um, a lot of our work is amplifying student voices and faculty um, and faculty stories is a lot of our work just in in holding the department accountable so please just share the info that we put out and and share these instances that we're trying to uplift and 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 holding 
faculty and upper admin accountable and just amplifying our black and brown queer voices. So if people are looking for resources on how best to directly support, you know, you should be directly donating to organizers that have been doing this work, organizations that are at the forefront of doing this work, student organizations and community organizations that have been doing this work that can directly benefit from the money or the monetary or resource donations that you're sending. Um, and you can find those resources um, through Student Power and you can contact us if you ever need a uh, connection and to where to donate or how best to donate. Thank you for listening to Student Power Radio. Remember, plant the seeds to your radical garden.